Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Our scripture this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. If you'd like to follow along in your own Bible, we invite you to, or in the Pew Bible, you can look on pages 84 and 85. And this morning, just a note, the translation that I will read will be a little different than what is in the Pew Bible or maybe in your Bible. I'm going to be reading from the International Children's Bible this morning. So I invite you to hear now God's Word. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Good morning, Orange. My name is Sarah. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and I'm so grateful to see each and every one of you this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? 
Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever had a really good meal? Talking about the kind where the, the food was so good that you're still thinking about it. Where the atmosphere was comfortable, and most importantly, the table is surrounded by people you love. There's laughter and community and warmth. Have you ever been to one of those meals? Have you ever experienced that? I can think of a couple in my lifetime. Moments that I recognized, wow, this is a sacred space. It was sacred not because anything was fancy or perfect, but because of who was present at the table. This morning, we're beginning a new sermon series called Feasting with Jesus, about the transformative meals with Christ that are recounted in Scripture. As we heard in today's story, we find two mostly unknown to us disciples, followers of Jesus, leaving Jerusalem. Now, they were probably in town because of the Passover, and now they're returning maybe home to Emmaus, about seven miles away. The two are deep in discussion and about recent events in a very politically charged climate, ruminating on Jesus' crucifixion by the authorities and the Roman Empire. This was a traumatic few days as they watched the person who they thought would save them, the person who they thought would liberate their people, die. And not only die, but in a very public manner. At this point, Jesus had been dead for three days, as the scripture notes, which is significant because in the Midrash tradition, it's believed that after death, the soul hovers near the body before departing on the third day. So according to their tradition, by this time, Jesus' soul would have been separated from his body, and there would be no hope for redemption, no hope that he could be alive as it was rumored. Jesus, as they thought, was truly dead as dead could be. And so was their hope. I can only imagine the heaviness of their hearts as they took this journey, the many questions they carried, the uncertainty and confusion that loomed over them. Suddenly, Jesus appears walking next to them. The disciples literally stop in their tracks when Jesus speaks. And yet, they didn't recognize it was Jesus. Not like even a vaguely familiar, like, you look like somebody I know, or do you have a doppelganger by chance? <laughs> in fact, they call him stranger, which is really better translated as foreigner. Someone who's from the outside. Someone who doesn't belong. Then Jesus asks maybe even a more shocking question to them. Uh, what are you guys talking about? Their response to Jesus is basically like, are you clueless? Like, have you been living under a rock? It's all over the news. It's on Twitter. It's on social media. It's in every news outlet and publication. How do you not know? Now, it's hard to read the tone of Jesus' response, maybe a little bit of exasperation with his compassion. Yet he spends time teaching, recalling stories from Scripture, giving insight and connecting the overarching story of God's care, 
love and presence with God's people. He wants them to see that God has kept God's promises and God will continue to do so. And still, they don't recognize Jesus. I wonder if the disciples had already come up with their own conclusion, solidified their assumptions, settled in their certainty, so much so that it was not possible for them to imagine another way, even when the other way was right in front of them. And as they approach Emmaus, these two followers strongly urge Jesus to come and eat with them. It's more like a forceful nudge. I imagine it's like when I go to my Nana's house, and it doesn't matter if I've eaten or if I want to eat or if I need to eat, I'm going to eat while I'm there because she is going to feed me, both a gesture of care and of hospitality. Jesus obliges and head, they head to this meal. They gather around the table, and Jesus broke bread. Now, the breaking of bread is a literal breaking of bread, while also saying a prayer. This happened at every Jewish household's table at every meal. And yet it is at this moment, at this time, that the act of breaking of, breaking of bread, that the disciples recognize Jesus. Here they'd spent the whole day walking and talking together, and they still had no idea who this stranger was. So what is it about this moment? Now, it's important to clarify that these disciples weren't the 12 disciples, so they weren't at the Last Supper. This isn't a recollection of the first communion practice, as it might stir up for us. They didn't have the framework for that happening. But for these followers, this is an everyday ritual. But it's anything but typical on this day. In this moment, the table becomes an altar where they recognize the very presence of the resurrected Christ amongst them. You see, it wasn't just in the walking with. It wasn't just in his teachings. Jesus' tell is in the breaking of bread, the prayer and presence at a meal with one another. The prayer exclaimed during the breaking of bread reads, Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the earth. What stuck out to me as I studied this prayer is that it's not just about gratitude for that bread or the other food on the table. It's a statement of faith. Faith in a time to come when all will have enough to eat. Maybe this prayer had been said a thousand times, but it made sense now. These two followers have one of those moments where they look around and recognize the sacredness of this meal, of this time, because God's presence is made known among them in a reminder of hope. Christ's presence invites us or to imagine or to think outside of what we could ever think is possible, to imagine a world that lives out the power and promise of the resurrection. What if, 
We stopped only looking up to heaven for God and instead looked around the table to find God amongst us. What might that table look like? I think I might have an idea. Because I love children's books so much, I'm going to read you one this morning because I think it might give us an idea of what this table looks like. Because it's very small, the pictures are going to be on the screen for your, uh, to be able to see it. So the book is called The Greatest Table. The greatest table isn't set inside a single home. Oh no, it spans the continents and no one eats alone. The table in your dining room, a picnic bench, a tray, a beach blanket, breakfast in bed, a small sidewalk cafe. The midway at a county fair, a shelter amid a storm, a roadside tent, a campfire site, where families share the warmth. Each one of us, each one is just another leaf in one uncommon table, where all the guests have cooked or baked or brought what they are able. Where all of us can help ourselves and all of us are fed, and no one has been turned away with only rice or bread. The greatest table, like a tree, is growing leaf by leaf and broadening its canopy to welcome more beneath. Its tablecloth is flowering and covers every lap with untold fruits that ripen here, its roots a global map. Whatever's grown is plentiful and raised with humane care, so generations far from ours will have an earth to share. The tides as well are table leaves, a feast wholly submersed, and streams and ponds all teem with life, where all can quench their thirst. And always in the company, there's someone we can toast, an elder, infant, long-lost friend, a sudden guest, the host. And you should hear the grace that said, it's not a single prayer. The thankfulness in every face is more than words can share. The next time you sit down to eat, the greatest tables set, connecting you with each of us, who hasn't eaten yet. So if you're hungry, join us here. Pull up another chair. We'll all scoot over and make more room. There's always some to spare. The story tells us about the greatest table, one where there is enough food, one that feels like home no matter where it is, a table that makes space for everyone. I like to think that this is the table that the followers of Jesus in our story were reminded of. And why, as Jesus broke bread and prayed, they finally realized who he was. Not only is Jesus with us, but Jesus reminds us of life and joy and sharing, especially as we gather around a table for a meal. 
A greater table awaits us, friends, and it is one where we make space for Christ's presence to be known. During our closing hymn this morning, I invite you to come forward and to take a piece of bread. Take it home with you, maybe eat it with your next meal. And upon the breaking of the bread, may you know and see the hope of resurrection. May it be a reminder to you that God shows up in ordinary spaces in extraordinary ways, even around a humble table, making the way for there to be more than enough. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.